Welcome back to the Decipher Podcast. I have two guests with me today. I have Mark Wehrmeyer and Bryce Curley from Cromulence. And we are going to talk about the DEF CON Hackasat competition, which is one of the cooler um, capture the flag style competitions that DEF CON is running. I, this is the second year for this competition. Um, I remember when this was announced last year, um, unfortunately, you know, the all virtual DEF CON. And I was like, wait a second. What the hell? What is Jeff doing? How is he hacking a satellite? This sounds like a terrible idea. I don't know how he got permission for this, but <laughs> turns out it wasn't an actual satellite, but we're going to get into that. So Mark, Bryce, thanks so much for joining me. How are you guys today? Hey, thanks for inviting us, Dennis. Yeah, a couple coffees in, had a good breakfast. I am ready. Excellent. All right. So I think most of the people listening to this will have some familiarity with a traditional capture the flag type competition. A lot of people have participated in those over the years um, and or or watched one or read about them. So they have some understanding of like how those kind of work. Um, and I know you two are, are sort of involved in the design and setup of Hackasat. So maybe if you could walk us through a little bit of how this works in terms of like versus a traditional CTF and you know, what's, what's unique about the Hackensat format. So for me, this is still at its core. It's a traditional CTF. Uh, like I think of a satellite as, you know, this is just a computer, but you can't go in and like reboot it. It requires, you know, millions of dollars to get there. <laughs> uh, the, some of the other differences include, you know, there's a lot of complex, well, maybe complex in, you know, the 19th century, maybe, but like difficult math involved in getting the, you know, satellite to where you want it and, you know, communicating with the satellite where, you know, RF is still very tricky. And to me as like a computer security person, it's still a little bit foreign. I still don't have my ham extra. So it's still like at its core, we're still like, I still think of it as a computer security contest, but the, there's a lot of difference in the like specifics of the challenges and other details. And I think Mark can help talk about what the uh, details of the challenges are that make it special. Yeah. So I, another aspect uh, besides just the RF uh, for me, that's interesting is the the physics are a lot more involved, right? On a, on a spacecraft. So which way is it pointing? What is its orbit? Where am I relative to my ground stations? Um, and I have critical subsystems on there that do things that are very physics related. Um, so, you know, versus, what may be your traditional cybersecurity systems you're going against. You have to deal with all of those very complicated physics aspects, the astrodynamics, um, you know, how much power is my satellite generating? Uh, there's, I think there's a lot more interesting and additional concepts that you have to be familiar with to, to understand hacking a satellite or, or protecting one. Yeah. It seems pretty wild to me because even, you know, some of the more exotic CTFs that I've seen, you know, where it's maybe against a car or, you know, an electrical grid or something like that, those are essentially just, you know, a stationary target. It's, you know, it's a thing sitting somewhere that you can put your finger on or point to and be like, that's the thing I'm going after. But as you said, Mark, like a satellite, yeah, it's it's in space and there's all these like kind of spatial relation type things that you just described that like a traditional hacker who grew up, you know, hacking Windows servers is going to be like, how the hell do I, like, what? what? You know, so... How, yeah, how do I even how, connect to this thing? Or yeah, like, you know, okay. it's only in view, it's it's only overhead where I'm at, like you know, for 14 minutes, like three times a day or something. So I don't have persistent access to it. Um, and and the satellite operators are the same. They they can only 
control it when they have access to it. And then they have to hope it's doing what they asked it to do or what they plan for it to do um, in, in between those accesses. And, and if something happened to it in between, maybe I don't, I don't even have visibility to what's happening on that spacecraft until I see it again on the next pass. Yeah. So the way that this is set up, so is there a ground station and a satellite that we're talking about, or are we just talking about a satellite itself or, you know, we should clarify, we're not, the teams are not actually going after a satellite that's in orbit, right? No, there's no real <laughs> spacecraft involved. <laughs> um, that would Sadly. be pretty dangerous. <laughs> but, um, but, but yeah, just in general. So um, I think there's a lot of interest in having those sorts of sort of concepts, you know, involved in, in teaching the, the cybersecurity community about those sorts of things that are involved with spacecraft and then for the spacecraft community bringing them in and trying to get them to understand what the cybersecurity concepts are that could affect the spacecraft that they're developing and working on or or using or, or related to their missions or commercial businesses uh, you know whatever their area of work is right. so yeah. uh following on to that from last year's contest the finals we actually did have a you know full simulated system in the lab we had a ground segment that teams were, you know, had to break into through, I think, a, you know, web application as one does. Mm -hmm. uh, and from there, they had to pivot to getting radio control of the satellite. And once they're actually on the spacecraft, you know, it's similar to a car where you have all these different units talking to each other and communicating with each other. And just because you're in one segment of the satellite doesn't mean you're necessarily in the payload or some other, you know, separate computer on there. Um, okay. So from last year, Bryce, do you have a, can you give us a sense of like what the makeup of the teams that were involved, like, were they traditional, you know, DEF CON hackers, cybersecurity folks? How much, how many of them were more in the space area? What was, what was kind of the composition there? So I think among the finalists and I, you know, this is just off the top of my head. I don't have the list of teams here. The uh, ones I remember are Poland can into space which is basically uh, Dragon Sector and a couple other, you know, traditional, you know, Polish capture the flag, you know, computer hacking teams. Uh, like Dragon Sector has been in DEF CON finals quite a lot. On the other side, I think there was Solar Wine may have been a team. And it's either Solar Wine or I think PFS were teams that were a lot of like, uh, like Airbus Space and other, you know, more AV aerospace focused teams as well okay okay it does seem that you would need some mix of those two skill sets to be really successful in something like that you know in, in this specific challenge where you're talking about not just the difficulty of the security problems themselves and you know capturing the specific flags but also like solving the kind of problems that you were describing mark like without you know knowledge of how these systems work i, I don't know how you would even you know, begin how, how you would even sign up for the koalas without that kind of knowledge. Yeah. And I think that's a whole lot of the intent behind Hackasat is to bring those two communities together and, and talking to some people that participated in Hackasat last year, you'd have, you know, the aerospace guy and he can do the aerospace problems and then, but he is completely out of his depth, you know, trying to do any exploitation or vulnerability so, sorts of things. And then, vice versa for the exploitation guys are like, what, you know, what the hell is a quaternion or <laughs> so, 
so yeah, so you got to kind of bridge those two uh, those two worlds uh, to be successful. But but I think on the flip mode, there does need to be a you know part of the qualifications, especially there needs to be something accessibility because the goal of the contest isn't just to find out who's best; it's also to you know show show satellite work to you know computer hackers and especially new computer hackers who might be able to you know who might be really interested in the niche. And at the same time to, you know, satellite experts to show them computer security exists and, you know, there's no Patch Tuesday in space. <laughs> oh, <God>. Patch Tuesday. <laughs> Imagine in space, no one can hear you scream at your ad, something like that. Um, I'm going to make the uh, podcast noise here for a moment. I'd love it. Um, Mark, can you give us a sense, just kind of like a, a layman's explanation of like, what type of computer systems are we talking about on a typical satellite or the emulated satellites that, you know, without giving away details of what's going on, what, what kind of computers are actually on board a typical satellite that might be a, a target in something like this? Well, so um, the way I think of satellites is uh, divided into a couple traditional subsystems. So you have your command and data handling, and that may be running something like a Zinc 7020 processor or, um, I mean, there's there's really a lot of different commercial options, but then um, you'll see some similarities um, where, you know, they, they kind of run to this. What your commercially off the shelf hardware is, um, you know, there's kind of a lot of similarities across the different, especially commercial and university sorts of spacecrafts on something more exquisite, um, a bigger nation states uh, asset. Maybe they're not as limited to those. Uh, what you would see on the commercial side. Um, and then you have your other subsystems like um, attitude determination control, and you're going to have things like reaction wheels, um, magnetometers, um, and some sort of computer with some model to be able to control and spin those things to, to point the, the spacecraft wherever you want it. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, whatever motor controller boards <laughs> that you need to run those uh, reaction wheels, um, and then you'll have your power subsystem and whatever board that you're using there to, to get your solar panel power and distribute that, store it. Um, so it's kind of, you've got this mix of all these special purpose sorts of hardware to do each of those different subsystems. And they might all have, you know, completely different flavors of vulnerabilities and jumping from one of those systems to another uh, could get interesting. And, and also, um, just how those subsystems are interconnected to each other on a spacecraft. You know, are they using I2C or are they using some other different mm -hmm. bus um, to, to get uh, communications from one to the other? Um, so it can get, there's a whole lot of variations that, that are possible um, from one satellite to the next. And, uh, and so, yeah, that, that could just be a whole another problem. It's just understanding what is on the satellite that I'm trying to hack or protect or, or talk to. So. Right. And it doesn't sound like the traditional, you know, network reconnaissance that, you know, an attacker might do when he's looking at a target is going to work on a satellite. I, Bryce, maybe you can answer that. So I'm so, uh, being the uh, I, I almost feel like, like recon for a satellite is going to involve more like reading documentation or mm -hmm. That's what know, I was thinking. like sussing yeah. things out. You know, similar to how you can figure out when a company's about or like getting in on some new, you know, like engineering or new product development based on their job ads, that kind of thing. That's yeah, that's exactly the way I was thinking, too, because anything beyond that sounds like you might go to prison. 
you guys, I mean, we joked about that there's no Patch Tuesday in space thing, but um, Mark, how often, you know, on say, uh, you know, a commercial communication satellite, how often is software, our software updates pushed over the lifespan? I mean, I know these things sometimes have decades long lifespans, but are, are updates pushed as needed to, to these spacecraft once they're up? Uh, definitely the space, a lot of spacecraft have the ability, probably, I would hope every spacecraft has the ability to, to be patched in some way, uh, you know, including patching the firmware, um, on the spacecraft, how often it's done. Um, you know, I, I'm sure that's driven by, you know, whatever your particular mission is, um, GPS, for example, I can't, you know, take down all of GPS to do a patch. Maybe I've got to schedule, okay, this satellite and then, and then the next one next time or, or, you know, so I'm sure it's very much driven by, you know, what what mission are you providing? How critical are those services? And, you know, when can I do a patch with with minimal interference to, to those operations or, or whatever risks it may involve? Yeah, which is not unlike the way that, you know, enterprise network administrators need to think about things, you know, in a complex network. They're like, well, I can't just take down all of, you know, Outlook to push these two patches. I've got to figure <laughs> this out, you know some of the same concerns. So, um, so the, the way that this is set up, I know the qualifiers are like the, the window to, to sign up is, is closing right about the time that we're all, all recording this. But once that happens, what is the, what's the process like to, to get through the quals and then end up in the, the finals in, in uh, Vegas? So uh, this year, the finals are not actually in Vegas. Uh, we've kind of decoupled the schedule from DEF CON just to make it oh, easier okay. for us. And with the assumption that, you know, DEF CON's in-person event would be pretty limited this year. Uh, like the uh, Order of the Overflow, their traditional DEF CON CTF is, you know, both hybrid, online, and remote. Okay. Uh, so after our qualification event, you know, at the end of June, uh, we're basically going to be building up on, on, our, on our side, you know, building up a final event that will be, uh, I believe in September, okay. it will be online only. Gotcha. Okay. And yep. So, so similar to last year, get, you know, when you show up to quals, you'll be presented with those challenges. The top scoring teams are who moves on to finals and, and, you know, gets their flat sats or, or prepares to, you know, work with their flat sats and whatever that final uh, competition configuration is. And do they get any sort of, um, you know, it, say you make the finals, do those teams get any like set of stuff to look at ahead of time and be like, this is going to be your, what you're looking at for the finals? Or is it just you show up and here it is? That That's definitely what happened last year. There was like a, a, a user manual and like a, uh, there might've been a digital twin or something along those lines. So, um, so yeah, the, you can't just throw the teams against, uh, some flat set that, that they don't have any knowledge of um, and start the competition. So, so yeah, they definitely need some time to familiarize with that system uh, before they can compete. The, the issue last year is the uh, German team uh, either eat, sleep, pwn, repeat, or, you know, eat, sleep, pwn, repeats like space themed uh, name. Uh, they're, they're in Germany. And we, uh, so, you know, during, you know, COVID last summer, mailing a object to Germany uh, ended up proving really, really difficult. And I think at one point, some members of the German team ended up having to like drive across the country to a DHL warehouse to try and like get their satellite out of customs. It was, it was a huge mess, a huge disaster. 
and we're trying to like not you know have anybody screaming at like their country's national postal service about the contest this year <laughs> yeah i can imagine that's a tough thing to explain to the customs officer <laughs> i'm looking for this satellite <laughs> in your warehouse so i can hack it could you please help me <laughs> um I know that uh, Air Force is a big part of this uh, this competition. I'm assuming that their their motivation is probably what you described earlier, Mark, of looking for trying to identify some folks that can can have this mix of skills. You know, they might be traditional hackers in the sense that we talk about them, but with an interest in you know space or satellite communications or something like that. And trying to encourage that that sort of curiosity is is that about right? It, absolutely, and then also the other direction. I mean, getting the aerospace professionals interested in the in the cyber aspect, um, and then you know also just you know bringing those two communities together and seeing what happens. There's stuff that the Air Force can learn. Um, you know what what can we expect um, from folks looking at these sorts of problems. You know, there, there's stuff that the Air Force can learn from this, too, um, beyond just trying to create this community um, of aerospace and cybersecurity professionals in the same same uh, group. Yeah, it's it, I I have found I mean, I'm sure you know this, Bryce, like in the hacker community, there's a huge kind of overlap in the thinking that like just the curiosity factor, you know, people that are curious mm-hmm. about the way the computers work and break and fail and things like that. Typically you mentioned ham radios. There's a huge ham radio community in the, in the hacker community too. There's a lot of people interested in, you know, in satellite communications. I ran into somebody last year that does like satellite archeology, span like finding, you know, essentially decommissioned satellites that are still in orbit and like yeah, that's awesome. what they can do with those. And I was like, what, how is that a thing? Mm-hmm. What, how, how do you even find them? I don't even, I mean, maybe you could explain it, Mark. I have no idea. No, I love that. There's, um, there's a couple, um, and I, I don't know any of the specific examples, but I definitely read about it before where there's these, there's these old satellites that are way past our lifetime or they, you know, they, they're no longer operational for whatever reason, but you know, sometimes when the conditions are just right, the, the solar panels or the batteries, you know, come back online for just a little bit of time and you can communicate with it. And so there's guys and I love the um, I love the hacker SDR community uh, that that does this sort of stuff with spacecraft, and you know they're trying to capture these signals when they whenever they you know expect them to come out, and um, and yeah, I don't know, that's just that's fascinating. That's that's just a really cool um, example, I think, of of where this area can be a fun place to to work in. Um, and yeah, I, I just love seeing stuff like that. Yeah, it's wild. I mean that that's exactly what what that person described to me or, and it, I was just like, that is just one of the coolest hobbies I've ever heard of. Like it's got to take so much time and patience just to look for that stuff. But, um, and you can do it from your backyard or whatever, right. With, with some cheap little SDR and antenna and you know, you can, yeah. you can collect spacecraft signals. Um, so I don't know that since like having something that's so accessible to, you know, to the everyday person, I think is, is, is pretty cool. And, you know, anyone has the chance to go learn those skills and the hardware is, is relatively cheap. Um, and, and yeah, you can, you can participate in the, in the satellite yeah. community. Which is, I mean, it's really cool. I mean, you know, it, growing up, you thought of satellites as like wild stuff that the government operated and, you know, they, yeah. you know, when I was, when I was a kid, there were like, 
you know, Reagan wanted to put lasers on them and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, now, now we're at the point where they're, the Air Force is just like, here's a satellite, try and hack it. You know, they're just like, what, what has happened in the last 20 years? It's pretty crazy. Um, yeah, the, um, that's kind of where I got into the whole area to begin with. And um, at the University of Florida, there's the Small Satellite Design Club. And that was, the, that was like the coolest thing to me is like, I'm in college and I can, you know, design spacecraft. And even, you know, some there's research groups at universities that, you know, with, you know, less than a million dollars of funding, which is within university level um, uh, project scope, you can create a satellite and you can, um, you know, coordinate with the government for a launch for it. And it's just got, even since then, it's gotten even more accessible um, for folks to make their own satellites and launch them. Um, so the whole, the whole small space thing is, has been really interesting that way for just getting a lot more participants. Um, and then that comes with all the cybersecurity implications too of, well, it's not just the U.S. operating in space anymore. There's also, you know, all these smaller countries and universities and commercial companies. And now, I, you know, I don't, it was very recently um, with, or within the last couple of years or whenever, but, you know, the largest spacecraft operator is a commercial <laughs> company now in terms of number of spacecraft on orbit. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's a really, um, in my mind, a really important shift and kind of says a lot about where we're going and, and, uh, and yeah, it has implications from a, from a cybersecurity perspective. Yeah. The, the small space commercial part of it is pretty fascinating to me. I mean, even like three or four years ago, a couple of the researchers I worked with here at Duo launched, uh, at DEF CON launched a satellite into space. You know, they went out in the desert and as like a research project when lost, <laughs> launched a satellite in space is insane. Like that, you know, this is a, a relatively small, uh, you know, security company that's doing this. So like, as you said, Mark, the, the resources and, you know, the, the ability to do this with not much expense is pretty crazy. Yep. And hopefully that does encourage more curiosity and and interest in this, uh, in the spaces as, you know, kind of the goal of all of this. Um, Mark, when you were working in the, the space slash satellite part of the, the world, what was the awareness level of, the security problems like there. I, I imagine in a place like Raytheon, they're, they're quite aware of it because they also operate in the cyber uh, world. But in general, what, what was the awareness about like the potential security problems? Um, maybe not speaking specifically to what, um, you know, how it was at Raytheon, but in, in general, kind of what, what I feel like happens in the aerospace community is, is it's just, you know, there's just a division of, of tasks. And I'm, you know, I may be an aerospace guy and I'm focused on, you know, solving how to keep this spacecraft pointed or how to keep the, the solar panels uh, charging enough or how to make sure my radio's working or, or I have working ground systems. Um, and I'm, and, you know, I'm laser focused on that and just making sure that that piece succeeds. And cybersecurity is probably, you know, not, not at the top of my list as an aerospace engineer, um, you know, initially coming out of school and, and working on those things or even being in the community for a while. And I'm going to rely on a different community that's, that is really focused on cybersecurity to do those pieces. And so you've kind of got, you know, it's maybe stovepiped is the word for it. Um, but, uh, but it would be great, right. To have aerospace engineering professionals that are also, you know, really interested in the cyber piece. And, and I think, 
Um, one way to do that is just to, to have some understanding of here's what could happen from a cybersecurity perspective and just like seeing, you know, some some of those interesting things that you weren't expecting that could affect, you know, how you wanted your, you know, my goals are to point my satellite, you know, um, if there's some cybersecurity thing that can that can affect that, then, you know, maybe that's where I start getting interested as an aerospace engineer because um, you're affecting the problem that I'm trying to solve. Um, and then vice versa for the cybersecurity guys, um, trying to get them interested in, you know, the aerospace engineering side of it and, you know, where, you know, where they can help there. So. And, and I think to me, that's probably the, the way that there's this assumption that these different things can be isolated is both really, it's really useful from an engineering perspective. Like if I'm trying to, you know, pass a message securely between two, you know, terrestrial servers, uh, I want to use TLS because it's already been invented. It's already, you know, been fully vetted. There's a what to do whenever there's, you know, a new poodle, a new, you know, something like that happening. With the risk comes there is whenever like the interactions between these two different systems where, you know, TLS may not be super reliable for communicating between a ground station and a spacecraft. If there's some, you know, power interaction or power like channel that leaks some information in a way that ends up being really devastating for, you know, an orbiting vehicle, that's really interesting. And as much as we'd like all these things to be these separate systems that, you know, talk to each other on well-defined interfaces, the entire history of computer security is basically, no, that's not true at all. <laughs> that's a perfect description of <laughs> computer security, honestly. Uh, all right, guys. Well, thanks so much for joining me. This is great. And uh, th- I'm, I'm really excited to, to kind of follow this and see how it works out and uh, see how many teams get involved in, in what the results are. I was, I was looking back yesterday at, at what happened last year, and it's pretty wild. Some pretty interesting... Um, stuff so i would encourage everybody to go check out hackasat.com you can you can see what it's all about and it's still time to sign up for the quals if, if you're interested in, in have a team to put together so um bryce and mark thanks so much guys thank you thanks dennis While you were-